in that time, Rodney started getting some gigs. They were trying to promote this new single. Mm-hmm. It was basically him and I. There was no band. So we were literally going out, him and I, and another acoustic guitar player in a car, like promoting this single. So we went from sitting in my kitchen table with nothing like that December. They released it in January to like having a number one single out of nowhere by July. Uh, completely other side of the universe. And, you know, I mean, we worked it. We were out there working it when nobody cared. Welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. Uh, my co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. And today we have Kevin Rapillo. He's the musical director and drummer for the country superstar, Rodney Atkins. Thank you for joining us today, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming to my attic. Yeah, nice uh, background. I love the background there. Thanks. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a drummer. Uh, I've been a drummer my whole life in one form or another. Uh, I moved to Nashville about 20 years ago uh, when rock and roll kind of died in the 90s, uh, if you will. Uh, I was kind of looking for a gig and uh, switching gears. Uh, moved to Nashville and uh, uh, met Rodney Atkins probably 17 years ago now before he had hits. It was just sort of a one-off thing that I did. Uh, like many other things at that time, you're just playing for a lot of different people and, and uh, seeing what's what. And here we are, 17 years later, I'm still playing drums for him and I've been band leader. I've been all, all kinds. Of, I've, I've tour managed. I've done every, everything possible for an artist that you do as you, as, you, as you move along, as things change. And he was lucky, uh, or not lucky, he was fortunate enough to uh, get successful. So we just kept working. So just kept moving on. So... Here we are. That's that's the short story. Uh, sure. And that's and I'm still in Nashville. So that's awesome. awesome. There's already a million questions coming to my mind. <laughs> I want to know about you and okay, your story. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, you sent us a picture, um, and I'm going to pull that up. So can you tell us a little bit about um, why you chose this picture, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, my uncle on the right, my uncle Lou, who's my great uncle, my dad's uncle. Uh, the short story there is he's a great drummer, big band jazz drummer, um, his whole life. Uh, and uh, that drum kit that he's sitting behind, that's him in retirement, actually, still playing, gigging all the way, you know, to the end of his life. Uh, I still have that drum kit that, that I'm sitting behind in that photo also. Um, I used it last year on a session. It's an amazing drum kit from the 50s. Uh, and, of course, has very... Uh, very sentimental value uh, as opposed to just, you know, um, money value. But uh, yeah, so he's, he's my uncle. So my dad grew up uh, as a little kid with my great uncle being a drummer and bringing other musicians to the house, uh, you know, um, my grandmother's house, his sister. And uh, so, yeah, he, he played drums. He introduced me to it and some of my cousins also uh, when we were little and I took to it. I had no idea why. Um, I guess it skipped a generation and, and I, he was the coolest guy I'd ever seen. And, you know, 
Of course, I love my uncle, and he's a great guy and really funny and gregarious, as you can see by this picture. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of personality going on there, you know, and uh, just, and in that era, too, was, I was always fascinated with it. So, yeah, I started as a little kid and, and just kept, kept going. And uh, luckily, because my dad grew up with him as a drummer, my dad, I don't know, understood it, but he, but he, it made sense to him. Oh, okay. You, you can do that as long as you sort of take it seriously uh, or it's not, you're not going to get you a drum kit as a toy so you can throw it in the garage or something. But uh, so, yeah, so that, uh, that's what I was influenced by and that's where it all started. And uh, what was your uncle's uh, name? My uncle's name was Lou Vitale. Uh, so he was a big band drummer. He played, you know, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, he was friends with Gene Krupa. You know, I have uh, some, some autographed Gene Krupa stuff on the wall back here, a famous big bad drummer. And, um, you know, so he was just, uh, just that kind of cool guy. Uh, uh, he, he lived long enough to see me play as a, in my twenties when I lived in Boston in rock bands and stuff. So that was really cool. And um, said, yeah. So, and you said you were two years old when he gave you your first set of uh, drumsticks. Yeah. We were real little. Yeah. He just gave myself, uh, and some of my cousins, all the boy cousins, of course, you know, back then it's very, very, you know, a boy thing to do, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't think any of my cousins that were girls were very interested in it anyway, so it didn't really matter. Uh, yeah, and I just, I just stuck to it. I, we had sticks in a little wooden block rubber pad, and I don't know. I, it doesn't make any sense. It's hard. To, I, I don't even know myself. I just, here I am, you know, and I just loved it. And... Uh, you know, I was fascinated by it as a little kid. And, uh, and then I found rock and roll not too long later, uh, you know, as a seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old, forget it. It was off to the races. So, um, yeah. Were you doing anything between two and seven or what happened during that time? I just make him, you know, probably, I know making my mom crazy. Uh, <laughs> as, as the typical story goes, you just bang on everything. It's just the sound of it, which for any kid, if I bring, a friend's little kid up to my attic to look at my drums or look at drums. It's instant gratification, right? A kid can sit down and just hit something, which you're always told you're not supposed to do. Uh, you can just smash away and, and it's really fun and it makes noise. So uh, I was fascinated with that right out of the gate. And then I took my first lesson, uh, like a group lesson of kids when I was probably about seven at the community center or something like that. You know, uh, I think it was the Italian community center. <laughs> Weird. Uh, you know, they'd have, you know, all different clubs or whatever. So after school thing. And I remember being seven and the kids were probably older, probably 12 ish. And I remember sitting on the folding chair and I remember not being able to sort of reach my feet to the ground and still trying to hit the pad, which was too tall for me in this little group class, which, you think that would have scared me away, but it didn't, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So was awesome it image. your, yeah, it is. Was it your uh, choice to take the lesson? Uh, I don't think I thought of it. I think, I think my mom uh, probably saw it up on, you know, however they got information back then by, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, by Pony Express or something. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and signed me up, you know, uh, and I think my brother took guitar lessons or something, whatever, whatever, you know, there was swimming, there was, you know, just typical kid activities. And uh, obviously the drum thing was obvious. Uh, my uncle, my dad was aware of it. So 
they figured I was probably interested in that. And uh, I was. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool that they did that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So would you consider yourself having been serious at that point? Or what was the what was it like? Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. As far as it makes me think of like, what, what could I be thinking at that age? It just seemed like it was always there. Hmm. I wasn't necessarily obsessed with it like that. But it was just there. It was just, oh, this is what I do, even at seven. That sounds so crazy. But I really just felt comfortable to me like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, I, I have these things, and I'm going to do this. Um, even at that young age, it seemed like it just made sense to me um, right out of the gate. I don't know why. Um, I wasn't a prodigy or anything. I, I, I'm still not, you know, but it just seemed like it was just always there. I don't know Do you remember means. having a sense at that time of how good you were or could be? Not really. I don't think until maybe a couple of years, uh, sorry, a couple of years later, some older brothers and friends up, up the street had a band. They were probably high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And I could sit down at that drum kit, which I wasn't supposed to be touching, uh, the older kids, and and play it a little bit, you know, I don't, you know, I thought, oh, I, I can actually do this. But I know I I was aware that I was that much younger than them, and they kind of looked at me funny. I, I do remember have remember have that sense of that being where I shouldn't be, mm. but still being able to. Hey, I'm, I think I can do that, like that guy does it, and he's way older than me, uh, so. Again, I don't think I, I was probably terrible, but in my head, it made sense to me. Is all I can sort of. No, that's such a that's such a cool way to put it, right? That almost it almost sounds like it felt like a, you found you found your identity even at that early age. Yeah, it just seemed to be there, and people ask all the time, "Oh, how do you learn an instrument?" And you know, as an adult, it's very it's like you know it's like learning a, a new language as an adult. Very difficult, you sure. you know, and it's hard as a kid. I don't know how I learned how to do it. I just, you don't think about it when you're a kid. You just do it. Mm -hmm. Practicing is not practicing when you're a kid. You're just, especially if you like it, you just do it all the time and it seems to happen. But um, maybe so I should have practiced more, I suppose. Do you remember uh, setting, like, it sounded like you were doing it mostly for fun at that point, not necessarily thinking about, I want to get to this step or this next stage, or was there some of that? Uh, well, I, I was always fascinated as a young person. I always wanted to do it. So I'd watch things on TV or my dad would show me old movies, like old big band movies or old, you know, fifties movies and always fascinated with the drummer. Mm. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the guy. Love it. You know? So I was always fascinated with it. I don't know if I put it together quite like that, but I was like, well, that's what I do too. Mm. Um, uh, I, I like it. I just want to see more of it. Um, not till I probably got to about, well, I didn't really get my first drum kit till I was, I guess, 13 years old. So I was playing on pads, but, but again, I don't think my dad treated it as a toy. And back then you couldn't really get, like now you can run down to Guitar Center and kind of get a really inexpensive starter kit for a kid. And then, you know, they had some like junky toy stuff. So there was really no in between. Mm -hmm. So to go get a kid, a, an eight-year-old, a $1,200 drum kit in, in uh, you know, back then would have been insane. You know, it just didn't make any sense. You know, it's not even, it doesn't even matter 
what you do for a living. It's just crazy. So yeah, not till later until my dad was like, oh, okay, uh, we'll go look at a real drum kit. And we ordered my first drum kit. It was like a real, I still have that kit, by the way. It's killer. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then I got, as a preteen and teen, kids in the neighborhood, putting bands together. I had a band all through high school, rock and roll band, of course. Um, and that's when it got, that's when it got nuts, you know. That's when I really got crazy. <laughs> yeah. So you're. Let's dive into the crazy. Like, tell us yeah. what that was like to get your first drum set and get these bands going. Yeah. Well, you know, always looking at someone else's drum kit and a friend's older brother that had one in the basement. Oh my God, that's like magic to me. Uh, you know, I just didn't have one yet. So when I got it, I, it was full on, you know, get a band. And I was lucky enough to have kids in my neighborhood that we had a band almost immediately is great <laughs> younger brothers of the older kids i talked about earlier that i was sort of touching their drum kit well they had younger brothers that were a little older than me so anyway we were all friends um so yeah that's when it really became an obsession that's where like my band i'm gonna play every weekend in the basement i'm going to concerts every chance i get you know living out i grew up in southern connecticut so mm -hmm. really lucky to have every concert in the world or every group in the world come through there constantly. So um, my dad would take me to see stuff. I got to see, you know, like Buddy Rich or something like that, big band stuff. And so, yeah, I, that's when the obsession really got crazy and I was fascinated with it. I did it all the time. I wanted to go to concerts and, uh, and my parents put up with it. That's what it comes down to. They put up with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so what does practice look like for you at this point? And did you practice individually or were you always practicing with a, a band at this point? I was always practicing with a band. I, I guess I played uh, individually like myself, but I was never that kind of guy. There's some guys that sit down and just practice for eight hours a day and they're amazing players. And that, I never connected it that way. It wasn't even about being lazy. I'd, I'll spend 12 hours in a room with a band, um, but spending 12 hours in the room by myself, okay, that's just, I, mean, I couldn't do it. Like, uh, but again, I'll, I'll do it all day long with a band um, and not even think about it. So uh, yeah, um, what was the question? Again, uh, so, what did, I lost yeah, so what did that band practice look like at that point? <laughs> oh yeah, so it looked like playing with the band all the time. I mean, we were gigging too, so we would, we would go play shows. We'd learn, of course it was all cover tunes. We tried to write our own songs, but we're playing cover songs and playing in bars even at 15 years old where my mom let me do that because honestly even as a teenager I was way more interested in getting into the bar to be able to play than to worry about drinking or something I, I, I what no no, no. <laughs> we want to play I want to play I don't you know I don't care about that you know I wasn't that's how obsessed we were so and I'm still the same way like even, even to this day I still I, I need the context. I mean, I'll work on stuff and I'll practice and I, and I had to do it in college or whatever, but, uh, but I still, it's still the same for me. I still want to have a con the context. I still want to be working on a project or recording something up here in my attic. People send me stuff and I'm working on it, trying to get it right. That to me is where I'm, where I'm at with it, but yeah. So it sounds like it's a little, it's a little mix of like working on something of having a group, you know, to do it with and like a real love for the performance aspect of it. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's a good way to, to put it. Yeah, it's those combinations where and drums, especially in the instrument, playing drums by yourself 
to me is a little pointless where it's not like you can sit with your guitar and, and play a song in the traditional way, right? Mm. Obviously. So the drums function in a band, like, oh, now it, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah. I'm functioning, you know, that's when the drums are really, really happening to me. So uh, yeah, um, that's, that's where it still works for me. I gotta, the con it's all about the context of, mm. of that band or group or project or something. Um, yeah. So, and live performance too. I love I love going out and playing. Not so much to look at me because I'm in the back. If you asked me to stand in the front of the stage and talk or sing something, I'd think you were out of your mind. There's no way I'm doing that. Uh, but behind my drum kit, super comfortable, no problem, love it. Um, I feel it feels right, you know. So anyway, so you're in high school. The uh you're having these practices, you're getting into some bars for some gigs. Uh, what happens next in your journey? Well, next in the journey, you know, uh, high school, uh, graduating high school. So I think I, my big plan at 17 years old, because I live in Southern Connecticut and New York City is right down the street. Um, having grown up, go, getting to go in there occasionally and stuff. I'm thinking 17, graduate high school, move to New York City. I got it figured out. <laughs> uh, and my my dad's like wow that's a that's a great plan uh no that's not happening you know what are you, what are you gonna eat um you know so but i wasn't scared i was ready to do it so uh though i was very fortunate it's not like the time my dad ever really said that to me he's like hey look you're fortunate i i can send you to college you need to pick one this is kind of a one-shot deal i was like so being obsessed with music I'm like fine i'll just go to music college then okay uh that was a rude awakening um so i went to berkeley college of music in boston um got to go to the big city so that was cool that sort of accomplished my goal I'm like oh I'll, I'll, it's another big city i can find a rock band there um and uh yeah so i i, I squeezed my way into berkeley and uh, I was in way over my head, right out of the gate, buried alive, you know. Um, every first five minutes, everybody there is better than me. And I don't mean, like, better than me. I mean, you know, prodigy better than me. Mm. I'm like, wow, this is going to be interesting. Uh, what, have I, what have I done? <laughs> so, yeah, so that was it. So I, I ended up in college in Boston and uh, finding end up finding what I want to find, which is a like-minded uh, people that I could start a band with and go try to get a record deal and be a rock star or whatever that, whatever that means, you know, but uh, yeah. Prior to getting to Berkeley, did you have a sense in high school with those bands of, of, uh, kind of, I guess, the opposite of what you experienced when you got there? Like, this feels good, I'm, I'm kind of good at this. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty well with this. I, I never, I, I guess that's the problem. I never really had a sense. I was just doing it, not taking it for granted, but like, oh, this is just what I do. We're pretty good because we can get together and, and make it sound like something. Yeah. But I had no perspective, I'm a kid. I wasn't thinking I was better than anybody else. I was just thinking, Oh, we're doing it. We've got it figured out. So now step two, just go to the big city and do the same thing again. Mm 
I thought some of my friends from high school would come with me. That was obviously because you're a kid and naive. Obviously, that's not the case. <laughs> Their parents were like, no, uh, that's a terrible idea. Um, uh, <laughs> and they're right. Uh, but I guess my parents figured they weren't going to talk me out of it. Mm. It would be harder to talk me out of it at that point than to try to steer me in a some direction that could possibly work out somehow. Um, so, but yeah, I ended up in Boston and uh, yeah. So um, I want to go back to that moment when you said that you felt like everybody was way better than you. That it was that you might have said this already, but you said that might be immediate that you felt that and yeah I, I mean the shortest period of time from, <laughs> from I mean I'm joking like five minutes but it's almost literal <laughs> uh, you know uh, uh, just that environment you know Berkeley's at that time too and still now but that time it was a it was a primarily a jazz school mm. I didn't play jazz my, my uncle played jazz and big band but I mean that's not even my generation you know I, I like it I love it but I don't play it so you know I in that sense I might have you know I it's like if I went to MIT or something I mean or, or, or you know I, what am I doing you know this is just, it's not what I do so yeah it was overwhelming you know um, but but in hindsight it's an immediate lesson in survival mm. you know complete survival like how are you going to survive you're not going to be better so you lose already but how how do you survive so and that that's what, kind of you know what did you do uh tried to survive <laughs> <laughs> I, I i got in there and you know slowly got through it you know um but immediately found people to play in a band with my first semester I had a band and we were out playing. So I'm out in it in the city already um, immediately, uh, which is really funny to think about at that age that I still the same thought process, find some guys, get a band. It's exactly what I did. Um, and I'd see guys in the practice rooms practicing for hours on end and they were amazing. And I'm thinking, well, I'm never going to catch that guy. He's amazing. Like, I don't care anyway. I'm just going to play with my band. That's what I want to do. So it was, that's constantly happening. Still trying to get through school. Um, it was an intense school and I was in way over my head, but uh, um, I got through it somehow. It must have, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it must have felt so foreign almost because I would imagine it's so structured, right? And you're one who just wants to go play and now it's like, take this class, do it this way, you know, work on this part first. Like, Yes, it was very, very I mean, it, 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 and Berkeley's different in a sense where it's structured, but it's structured for a type of music that's has structure, but is all improvisation on top mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. So you have all these things working against each other. They would teach you this thing and then say, well, forget that now just do the thing like oh okay sure and so that's <laughs> hard. not just take the test and try to get through but now actually try to apply it in a real way i mean you know um it was crazy <laughs> uh but it was cool i mean I, I did learn a lot and and just got through a lot and, and didn't learn a lot because i just got through it sometimes you spend your time in school just getting through it and not even absorbing it you're just trying to get from 
the beginning of it to the end of it and then forget it and move on. So, um, and I was playing at night in bands and running around and crazy. Most of your yeah. practice still just doing it with the band at that point and playing the gigs? Yep. Absolutely. Even though I'm supposed to be doing it for school, I have requirements that I have to do proficiencies and ensembles and there's no way to cheat around it. I mean, you just got to somehow. So I'd squeeze through it. And uh, the only thing that served me is because I did have, for that age, I did play with people a lot as a kid. I found a way to make it work, make the assignment work or, or squeeze through it or make it sound like something, mm. um, even if it was way over my head. So, you know, um, yeah. Were those miserable for you? Miserable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was tough. You know, and you're a kid too, so all you, all you want to do is want to get to it. You know, you just want to get, get to what you want to do. You don't want to, you know, deal with it. But, you know, grades, they were, they were grades. They were midterms. They were finals it was projects it was stuff to do you just had to do it i couldn't i was gonna get bail out you know um though i went three and a half years of that um and quit my last semester because mm. uh my band really started to like okay now i found the guys i'm out i i can't do this anymore <laughs> you know which my father was not very happy about. <laughs> yeah, you were almost there. <laughs> one semester. He's like, I asked you to do one thing. <laughs> one thing. And you couldn't do it. I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. I'm out. So um, so I left and did my band and developed that band in Boston scene. Uh, it was amazing at that time and playing out, really making it happen. And uh, three years later, as my band is working on deals and, and it's starting to happen, I actually went back. And uh, I had such, so, such little requirements to finish. I, mm -hmm. I tightened up a couple things that I left behind and I took a couple of classes, you know, like art history too. And some other, it's just silly, not silly, but just requirement stuff. And they gave me my degree. <laughs> and uh, they're like, just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> here, get out, you know? So anyway, so I, I tightened it up, you know, uh, and uh, moved on with my band and, you know, kept going so and i have one question before we move on past the berkeley uh period did you find others who like any kindred spirits those who like you felt that they ran over their heads yeah yeah i think we all gravitated towards these towards each other so i think we were sort of the, some some of the first generation to come through that school that were really primarily interested in rock music or what was happening now and that school wasn't really geared to that yeah. they were just starting to change the curriculum about halfway through uh while i was there to try to um you know try to uh update themselves a little bit more to what was going on and to attract you know younger people and different different aspects now they're berkeley's gigantic and it's mm -hmm. has all aspects of the music business and giant buildings and you know it's really grown exponentially uh, but yeah definitely I found a lot of friends like that and uh, one of which was my roommate um, at the time who I started a band with and who I'm still best friends with today uh, you know a hundred years later so um, what prompted the decision to go back when you did uh, I, I think a lot of things just feeling bad that I just didn't finish I mean it's just come on uh and he, my dad was right i mean he you know 
I was very fortunate to be able to do that and to not at least just finish it and just for whatever, just, just for the sake of finishing. Um, um, and also too, I think I realized with my band and as we were get doing well on the scene and trying to get record deals and stuff, it just doesn't move as fast as you want it to. Mm. I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere. Well, I'm not leaving the planet. I, I was living in Boston in the same neighborhood as, as the school right there in Back Bay. I'm like, yeah, certainly I can take a couple classes and, uh, and finish it up. I think I can manage it. Um, uh, I just, it was the right time to stop though because I was, I was so burnt out. That, that there, I mean, it was just not going well at that point. And so before it gets really bad, let me just stop for a second. Anyway, yeah. And so your band is getting some traction to um, so take us from there. Uh, yeah, so the Boston scene at that time was huge for, for original music. So um, we had an original band that all the big radio stations would play local music. So we had a lot of, it was a hard rock band. So we had a lot of traction. We were doing really well. Bands were getting signed out of Boston all over the place. Mm-hmm. Of course, the big bands at the time, the Cars and Aerosmith and, and all these bands. And the scene was just huge. Um, so, uh, we were very fortunate to be there at that time. And, uh, you know, we were working on development deals. We had development deals with big labels. We were playing New York City all the time. So, yeah, we had, we had some deals. We had a, landed a publishing deal, a couple of record deals. Well, one and a half, uh, you know, that um, we were working on. And then the scene, the fast forward is the scene in that early 90s completely changed. Mm. The rock scene overnight the switch went off and it changed. I don't think it's ever, it certainly hasn't been like that since. And uh, everybody lost their record deals. Everybody was out of business from the top all the way to the bottom as far as the style. And, you know, hard rock had almost virtually stopped. You know, Nirvana, the Nirvana factor, mm-hmm. right? At that time, changed the world. At that time. So, uh, so yeah, we were done. So just, we we're getting closer and closer and closer. We were right inside the door and uh, time just ran out. And uh, we were all pretty young. To be spit out of the music business at that <laughs> young age was kind of brutal. I'm like, really? Am I done at 25 years old? Wow, that was quick. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so how did, you, how did you adapt? What did you do next? Not well. Not well. Uh, I, uh, I played a lot of tennis. So that's, I, okay, that's when the tennis came in? Yeah, I loved tennis as a kid. I loved yeah. it uh, from the park. Uh, you know, we were little kids in the town, not, not to, you know, it wasn't country club tennis. I, in my hometown, they would have like a summer program. If you brought a tennis, a, a can of tennis balls to the court, college kids, they'd have these town lessons and you'd get, so I just loved it, you know? So of course my mom was like, here's a can of tennis balls, get out of the house, go to the park. Um, yeah. So I always played tennis. I loved it. And uh, so I played a lot of tennis. I think I took a year and just played tennis. Uh I checked out pretty well, you know, figuring out what am I going to do now? Uh, I became a tennis mom uh, for a year. No music at that time? Like you were doing nothing with drumming? Uh, a little bit here and there. Mm. You know, I still had all my stuff. I still had a big rehearsal space that you had to take care of in Boston and my friends and do stuff here and there, you know, but I was sort of in that one band for five years, just constantly grinding, trying to make it all happen. And then it, then it just got turned off. So I, I just sort of stopped for a little while <clears throat> with an organized band and played with some friends here and there and uh, before I f- could figure out what else to do. 
you know, um, started and then again, started it back up again with some different bands through the sort of couple years after that. But the scene had completely changed so much in Boston. There was really no, nowhere to go, nothing to do at that point. So, um, yeah. So what happens next? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'll leave you off right there. <laughs> uh, well, because of that too, not just me, but a lot of my friends who were also doing the things who had successful Boston bands and, and had made records and stuff. One of them, my friend Angelo had moved to Nashville as a songwriter, he, uh, just to primarily be a songwriter because the scene in Boston died. So I went and visited him one winter for like a weekend, just for something to do. I'm like, oh, I'll go to Nashville and visit Angelo, see what, and I visit, never in a million years did I think I would ever go to Nashville. It was just somewhere to visit my friend. And uh, I went, wow, this place is pretty cool. Now, in, in my defense, and again, being naive, he was kind of happening at the time. He had been there for a while. So he was doing well songwriting, uh, playing with a lot of great people. So I got to like walk in his shoes mm. while visiting him. So that gave me a false sense of security. <laughs> Whoa, this place is great. Everything's right here. I can just come here and do this. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So that's when I realized, oh yeah, Nashville's the place to go. Um, um, that's the place to go. Uh, so two years later, I got it all together, um, and uh, and came here. I came here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with with my wife, who was not my wife at the time, uh, we left Boston, not happy about it. Nashville at the time <laughs> is not Nashville now. <laughs> you know, it's not that long ago, but it's long ago in 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 development and time and mm. and uh, what was going on. So I moved to Nashville and and just decided I'm I'm going to try to be a drummer. I've never done that before where I'm just going to be a drummer for hire and play for different mm -hmm. people. I was always the guy in a band, very different concept for me. Um, and the people here that do that are the, are the best in the world. So being a little naive was okay, I guess, because I didn't really know the forces against me at the time, you know, but everybody, everybody in NASA was very supportive. So that's where the, that's where it's different. Where even the best players and top session guys were always welcoming and nice and cool and, weren't threatened by me, that's for sure. Uh, you know, they're just like, oh, great, yeah, cool, whatever, you know. Um, um, so was it another experience like you had when you got to Berkeley, or was it different? It's amazing, amazingly the same exact experience. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I've moved to a place where everybody <laughs> is better than me. And, mm. and it's again, it's not me trying to be, like, humble or self-deprecating it's like no that's the truth i mean you're either going to face reality or not if you don't see that you're a lunatic you know <laughs> and it's the best in the world are here it didn't occur to me and so I'm like well at least i have experience with that so <laughs> here i am again i'll just go do my thing i'll find my way all i can do is do my thing uh i'll find my people you know I'll, mm. those guys can't play for everybody i'll just find my people and i had moved here with a friend uh my friend uh Jamie Rubin, who uh, I played with in Boston. We had a band and we came to Nashville kind of together. He opened the Family Wash over in East Nashville, which was there forever. Um, great club, modeled after some of the cool little Boston clubs um, uh, in, uh, that we grew up in and played mm -hmm. in. 
uh, yeah, so we moved here together and, uh, yeah, and just started grinding it out. And uh, it was a good time by accident because back then Nashville wasn't now. Uh, people moved here, but it wasn't completely overrun. Mm. The scene was way tighter. I was very fortunate to meet a lot of great people uh, really easily. And, and I think I got my first gig moving to Nashville within a month. I was playing with people and, you know, figuring it out. So I don't know. What was it like transitioning from the, the music genre that you loved to like this new one? It was difficult. Uh, the cool thing about some of it, well, I was lucky in one sense and another sense, not, lo not so lucky. I needed some parts of my playing I needed were playing for songwriters, quieter situations, a little, you know, different vibe than just big rock you know so you know so i got a lot of those gigs and i'm like well i'm just gonna get in there i mean i know it's just drumming but it's real different you know some people would ask me hey can you just show up with a snare drum and a shaker can you just bring a kick drum and a snare and just brushes and it's really quiet you know all these different kind of situations different style wise mm. uh, so it really filled in a gap for me in a practical way not just in a student way that i needed on the other hand all the new era of country guys at that point the rodney atkins the jason aldeans all these guys are at the same time um uh coming up at sort of, they're unknown they that sensibility they all wanted rock guys yeah. really i mean they were country guys but they, their bands they wanted you know it was a it was changing a lot sure. so i just luckily uh, blindly walked into it where a lot of those guys wanted a higher energy, bigger thing. Garth Brooks kind of did that too. You know, he started that sort of next generation of big time, yeah. big show, big everything, you know. Uh, and then sort of the, the guys that came after him were all his fans like Rodney, you know, loved Garth or whatever. So they're, they're trying to take it from there. Still being country, which I, which I was fine with. Mm -hmm. uh, but they wanted that more of that sensibility so lucky a lucky break you know and are these studio gigs or are they live or are they both say that again are you playing uh for uh others in the uh, studio at this point or are these live shows i did a lot of that uh the studio thing not the sort of big time a studio thing because those guys are the guys and some of them are still the guys but the, at that time there was still a lot of demo song mm -hmm. demo stuff going on mm -hmm. which uh, which was a whole industry below within, you know, levels of industry. So I did a lot of that where people are just songwriters are just demoing their songs so that mm. publishers can sell them. Right. So they need to get a band together to quickly cut their song just so they can show it around, you know? So I did a lot of that. It was a great experience. You know, it even paid too, which I was like, wow, cool. That's cool. You know, it, I mean, the fact that people paid me to play drums is a joke right so you know i was like yes this is great and it got some practical experience which was pretty cool and i got to do a lot of cool different stuff a lot of independent stuff and just all the people i found and my friend who opened the family wash that was a whole scene over there mm. of all kinds of mix of people playing for a real diverse uh, uh artists all the time which was great for me my first five or six years in nashville is perfect so uh, what happens at this point? Have you met? Uh, are you working full time with Rodney at this point? No, no. Uh, so I I met him through a friend, 
uh, I was playing with his, with my friend, uh, Mark, who we played together with this folk singer woman who played all these colleges. Anyway, he knew Rodney just randomly and said, Hey, this guy's has a gig this week and he's a new guy. Um, he needs a band. Just come down, just play drums. I'm like, okay. Uh, so Tuesday we did a rehearsal. Then we went out that weekend and did a couple of shows, which is pretty typical of Nashville at that time. I was doing that a lot with people. Some people I'd play with again. Some people I'd play with once that I'd never see again. And, you know, it was just round and around. I did that with Rodney. Played a couple of shows. The noontime slot on a festival where there's nobody there. People are setting up their chairs. You know, he had made his sort of first record that hadn't quite come out yet. They were releasing singles and it wasn't really happening yet. It wasn't catching on. Uh, so I did that. He'd get sporadic gigs. So every time he get a gig, he'd call me back. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. He's a nice guy. What do I know about country? I don't know anything about country. <laughs> He's a nice guy though. So that's cool. I'll do that. Mm. And uh, um, I just kept doing it. And then finally, about six months in, he got a, he got a top five hit kind of out of nowhere a little bit. It's a ballad. And I was like, all right, I got this thing figured out. This guy's got been playing with, this guy. I just found this guy. He's got a top five hit. We're on TV. This is amazing. And then nothing. He was nothing happened for like four years. You have these elements of your story where it's like, it's coming, it's happening. And then uh, <laughs> that, well, that's, that's truly the music business in a nutshell, sure, right? But yeah. uh, it's riding all the different waves of it. Um, uh, yeah, so nothing happened. He would still do gigs and still be out there. But I mean, uh, and I was playing for other artists and auditioning and, and getting gigs and not getting gigs and uh, still moving along pretty well in Nashville, like still doing stuff. Um, um, yeah, and then... I had auditioned and got a gig for another country artist. So four years after that, he was really, nothing was really happening at that point. I auditioned for another country artist, got the gig. Uh, we were doing the gig. It was a good gig. That guy had a, I think a top 10 hit at the time. I hated it. Mm. It was horrible. He paid me well. He wasn't a bad person, but it was just, it was just off the rails. Like enough said, it was just not great. Uh, uh, <laughs> I will make you talk more about that, but what what maybe does that tell you about what you were searching for and found in Rodney or, or that really you liked? Yeah, well, I mean, just people that, you know, weren't insane, that'd be great. Or just <laughs> kind of off the rails or, or doing it for the wrong reasons or, you know the whole party thing, which is totally fine, but it's like, that's fine. I came from rock and roll. We all had fun or whatever, but it never got like first things first. So like, Hey, I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to like ruin what we're doing. Like mm. first things first, like I, I, I don't. So it, it was just completely out of control, which was a great lesson in that. Cause I was thinking, well, if this is the way it's going to be, you know, I had friends that worked at a hotel. They got me a hotel gig. I'll just go work at the hotel because mm. I'm not going to be miserable playing drums. This is stupid. Like, I'll just go to the hotel and work. They're cool there. And, you know, if I'm going to have a job I don't want, I might as well do it, you know, there. So um, anyway, so at that point, I'm miserable doing that gig. 
Rodney throws out a single. They just let it song. If you're going through hell, they just kind of, they just tossed it against the wall. Uh, didn't give it much thought. I'm like, Oh man, you know, uh, come on, man. (laughs) You got, you got to get this thing going. I can't play with this guy anymore. Well, the guy I was playing with ends up clearing house, firing like the whole band. Fine. You're firing me. Okay, cool. I fire you. <laughs> uh, some people, you know, then, anyway, yeah. So in that time, Ronnie started getting some gigs. They were trying to promote this new single. Mm-hmm. It was basically him and I. There was no band. So we were literally going out, him and I, and another acoustic guitar player in a car, like promoting this single. So we went from sitting in my kitchen table with nothing like that December. They released it in January to like having a number one single out of nowhere by July. Uh, completely other side of the universe. And, you know, I mean, we worked it. We were out there working it when nobody cared. You know, um, I was just happy to be doing that with him. I was like, well, that was terrible. At least we're doing this and we're giving it a shot, you know. Um, and, you know, from that point on, he went from nothing to that single to four consecutive number ones in a row. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. I mean, it makes sense. He he worked hard and people worked hard. But I mean, if you had told me that, that December before, I'm like, I would have said, yeah, you're cool. You're insane. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so that's the, I hope I'm not talking too long to tell the story, but. Uh, no, no. Oh, this is perfect. I'm, I'm... Uh, it's, it's nuts, but uh and we've been working ever since. That was 2000. I met him in 2002, in 2003, when he got that first little hit. And then in 2006, I guess in January 2006, they put out Going Through Hell as, just as a single. Mm-hmm. And then that July, it went to number one. And then, you know, around and around. And we're still going. So somehow we're still here. And still, it's, it's, a real, it's you know, I always joke with Rodney that, man, if we could, if we could just get one number one everything would be, you know, different. And then after, you know, six, seven number ones, I'm like, yeah, if we could just get one more number one, <laughs> everything would be, you know, it's just, it's just constantly, they're just still trying to make it happen, right? So trying to go, so. so did your, did your performance uh, change the way that you practice during, while you're, during this period of success? Um, did anything change as far as how you went about preparation? Did it make it easier? Did it make it harder? Uh, well, it, it, it's the survival mode again, because, you know, you, all the stuff you have to do for the 30 minutes you get to play or the half an hour you get to play is, um, you know, so uh, it was always just, practicing to you know to be able to adapt to how it changes so for me it was just trying to stay uh open to the the change of it so at one point you know we're in a car uh promoting his record so i have a little mini stand-up kit (laughs) that i have a little mini bass drum and a little (laughs) snare with brushes that would work and we'd play anywhere or sometimes we'd go into a radio station i'd just play a garbage can you know just because (laughs) You know, just constantly adapting to whatever it was. Then, you know, we we got on our first big arena tour, but we're only playing 20 minutes. Mm. 
So you got to get on and off in 20 minutes. And the first night we play with uh, Martina McBride, they said, like, yeah, that guys, that was great. Listen, you went 23 minutes. Can you cut a song? So we were playing four songs, I think, at that point. <laughs> get off, you know. So you're just constantly adapting to, uh, um, to the changing world of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I was practicing, but we were so busy doing it that you, you have less time to actually sit down and, and play um, if you wanted to practice and more time to, you know, you're just running around trying to keep up with the thing and uh, go from place to place. So, Do you remember having like a, a positive lens on that experience at that time or a different one? Uh, it was very positive for me because having tried to get on that ride before or whatever I thought that ride was in my mm -hmm. head, uh, with my band and never sort of getting what I would think my foot getting my foot in the door so getting to take this ride that much later with a guy in a way that I could have never expected mm. you know we're literally going from sitting in my kitchen to playing like the tonight show uh, it's crazy so I mean I was fully aware of like hey this is crazy this doesn't happen very often or at all mm. and just to be on the inside of it just as a drummer and is great I, it's just fun and exciting and even though, but it's really hard but I, I that didn't seem hard to me i was like oh no no i want to put up i want to put the gas all the way down let's let's just keep going you know yeah. um which is a, you know not great either but uh you know uh i'm glad it happened to me later have, having that experience and maybe younger because if you know if i had had that experience younger you know, you you just would go crazy in a sense. We, you know, I would just want to keep pushing and pushing. So mm. I got to at least enjoy it a little bit more uh, through someone else's um, name. So I was just the the drummer, which was kind of cool to be. Can I ask a follow up about that? I've often wondered with uh, you'll see these band members, and the band will finally get some success, and then one of the members might quit at like twenty three or four. Um, do you ever? make mental notes of that. Cause I've often wondered like why, what, like what else they think was going to happen. Like I can understand that they might be so miserable that they have to leave, but it just seems odd yeah. to me that they leave once the success comes. I know, I know. Well, it's, 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 you know, hard to deal with, I suppose. You don't know till you get there, I suppose. I got to watch it a little bit more uh, from arm's length cause it wasn't my name on it, yeah. you know? So um, all the burden wasn't on me. Uh, I can't imagine that at 24 years old, having that happen. I think of my band and I, I love those guys and, and we're still all friends. Uh, I'm thinking, oof, somebody would have been dead. Uh, <laughs> you know, somebody would have been, been in jail. Um, I would have been trying to control the whole thing or something, you know what I mean? So you think as a kid, it's probably, it's probably okay. Uh, that, you know, someone just hands you a giant check or something or, you know, it's yeah. a bad idea it's a bad idea all around so yeah people just can't handle it and they spin out of control and and uh you know um it's very difficult uh so um, it's hard to maintain just your um energy just doing it as a side guy in that environment it's it's a lot it's a lot of running around you know so uh, this is gonna sound like a very random question but any tennis still in in the story here at any point any tennis skill 
No, t- any, was it, were you playing any tennis still? Oh, yeah, yeah, always. And, and okay. I, had, I had taught tennis in Boston, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this inner city club, kind of a famous club, because um, my friends were these real tennis players, and they recruited me to take the beginner kids um, <laughs> in this camp. Um, so uh, I did that in Boston, and then I, do it, I still do it here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I was doing it right until they closed the Aiken School in my neighborhood, after-school tennis uh, program. Uh, for kids. Uh, uh, it's fun. It's, it, and again, it's just like I learned, it's not country club style. It's real deal. Like kids, you know, public school. Uh, it's great. Uh, so um, yeah, always, always with the tennis. I love it. Uh, so sometimes with road partners or other musicians, I'd find a guy that played and we'd bring our rackets and we'd mm-hmm. go find a court and do that. Yeah, always, always obsessed with it. You know, I love it Any- so much. Just such a wannabe, typical musician, such a wannabe. <laughs> Do you see any parallels between what you've done to improve tennis performance to what you've done to improve your drumming performance? Uh, um, yeah, well, you know, you definitely, like anything, uh, I think drumming especially, to, or maybe it's just my perspective, is, you know, tennis, because it's such a singular sport, you you can't be inside your own head all the time. You see tennis players. If you w- ever watch tennis, you watch the guy spin out and yelling at himself. Or, or I've or worked woman. with some tennis players. Yes. Yeah, it's a yeah, common yeah. feature so of the sport. <laughs> they're either trying to talk themselves in or out of something, or they've just completely lost their mind. And uh, because it's so singular, so it's it's been a good practice to not. My friend uh, Trey Gray, who's a great drummer, plays for Brooks and Dunn and Reba. Uh, he's a great guy in it. Um, uh, we talk about it all the time of trying to not be in your own head. As soon as mm-hmm. I'm in my own head, I'm at my worst. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something simple, especially recording, because playback, it'll hear it. You know, it's like, like the camera. It'll hear you hesitating or act. So tennis, very much so, you can't be in your own head. You have to just let it go and, like, move on and, uh, and, and not be thinking about mm-hmm. everything, you know, which goes for just about anything, but especially – a game like that, and I think especially drumming. I mean, you cannot be thinking foot, hand, time, counting. One, two. I listen. I, that, that would you don't want to hear me do that. That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. Nor do you want to see me hit a tennis ball like that either. It would be terrible. You, know, you just want to flow and go and not think about it too much. So, do you ever answer. with with drumming? Do you ever find yourself in a challenging headspace? Oh yeah. Oh God, yeah. Um, again, my buddy Trey, who helps me sometimes, we record when we could see people. Um, he'd come over and sort of produce me, you know, um, where he would sort of run my Pro Tools rig and help me out and let me just play a little bit. And he would say, "Try this. Just this sounds better." He's a great drummer. Just try this little thing. And he used to say, "What are you doing? Like, you, <laughs> stop thinking about it. Just you just did it. Stop." You know. So yeah, it happens all the time, and you really have to. Uh, have to uh, get out of that you know um, it's hard sometimes sometimes you can't sometimes yeah. you can't get out of it and and you know you just get a little stuck and you got to walk away or you got to f- just push your way through it a little bit and hope nobody notices you know the yeah. untrained ear that doesn't isn't going to notice that <laughs> maybe maybe that, that's why some of those Nashville session guys are so amazing not only are they great musicians of course but that's not that's not half the story it's the ability to do that day in and day out and function like that and uh yeah and not 
and still have to come up with it in three hours, you know, a, a finished version, you know, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to do, I think. But, you know. So, so were there any defining moments that you can identify on your drumming path? Uh, it's hard to think that way. Uh, you know, I, I mean, a big one for me was, was moving to Nashville because I really, it was one of the first times I said to myself, oh, d- are you still going to play? Mm-hmm. It was a point where I really remember saying, I said, well, are you going to play or not play anymore? I mean, the Boston thing is kind of done. The band thing up here is not really happening. It's okay. I can still noodle around, but I really had to make a conscious decision of like, okay, am I giving up now? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to, or am I going to go do something to try to, you know, keep going. So yeah, that's probably the biggest one where I really had a moment of, or, you know, of time saying, well, what are you going to do? You know, you got to make it, you can't just do nothing. Like it's fun to play tennis for a year, but you know, kind you of the fork, the fork in the road moment. Yeah, it really is. And, I, and, and it, it's very cliche, but it was really one. It was a, it was a very much that like, you got to make a call here. I can't live in the park in the tennis court. You know, I can't sleep on the bench. Sounds fun, but Boston's cold in the winter, so it's not going to work. Yeah. What made you take the step down the path of let's do this, keep going? I, I guess I just didn't feel like I was done. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I got that sense. I just felt like, well, what, and I also felt, well, what else am I going to do? Is there anything else that, if it was something else maybe I was interested in or I really, a career that seemed to make sense besides that was just a day job, you know? Um, uh, I might have done it, but I really had no answer. Like, well, it's the only thing I halfway know how to do at this point. I've come this far. What, what, what other skill do I have? They're not going to hire me at the Home Depot. <laughs> a sixteen-year-old kid's more qualified. So, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know. So, yeah, I, I said, well, let's go for it. And at that time, moving from Boston to Nashville, Nashville was so much cheaper, just a practical sense. I mean, I had nothing to lose. I'm cutting oh. everything in half just going to try it. I'm like, well, I've got nothing to lose at this point. Um, I could always come back, you know, no one's going to miss me that much. I can come back in a year. So, and so what do you find easy and what do you find challenging about what you do now? Uh, it's, it's always the mental game, right? It's always trying to keep your head in it, trying to ride the waves of, of the business of it or your own, how you feel about your playing that day, like anything in a job, like you, you know, also too, when you turn something you love into your job, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, you, you do what you love. I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but when you turn what you love into your job, it, it poses, it, it, it's, it can be a problem sometimes, you know, cause you have emotion wrapped up in that and it's uh, it can be, dicey so yeah i think just keeping my head in it still trying to push forward always adapt try to adapt even though you don't want to i think i'm pretty good at that i think i'm still here um it doesn't bother me to adapt i don't you know i don't want to be the old guy mentality whether i'm 20 40 or 50 i i, I want to be just yeah. not staying in it you know and not being turned upside down by something so anyway you yeah. mentioned uh kind of burnout relative to the story about leaving Berkeley. And it's interesting, you know, there's 
people assume that burnout only happens in situations like that. You're just, you're having a, you know, head down grind, something that you don't really want to do. There's also burnout that happens as a result of, like you said, doing the thing that you love and it being a job. Have you experienced yeah. that as well along your path? Uh, I, I, I'm a little, I'm a little sick in the head where I, uh, I want to keep going, you know? Uh, so I'm a little weird that way. Not that I'm such a hard worker. I just think once I'm in it, I want to, I want to go, 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 go. I'll do 20 shows in a row. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so that's its own form of burnout where I'm not realizing, you know, you should just take a minute, um, mm -hmm. and unwind, but, uh, but having chased it for so long and then getting the opportunity, I'm not going to let my foot off the gas, you know? So, uh, you know, that's a thing too. Um, I think it's more of a, the challenge of burnout of, of, um, especially in a town like Nashville, which is an industry town, always being in, in the mix, you know, mm. where it's constantly all that, you know, I've been lucky to have a steady gig for a long time. So that's pretty cool. But still, you know, you just being in that all the time and worried about it or thinking about it can burn you out more than the actual doing of it. Yeah, and country music obviously has such a strong history, but as you mentioned, it continues to evolve, right? Yeah. So I would imagine kind of keeping up with that is the, the ever-presenting challenge. It is. You know, uh, I went from trying to break into it to finding some people to, oh, now he's the huge new guy, to now you're not the new guy anymore. You, never, you can only be the new guy once, right? <laughs> so uh, I don't care who it is just once whether you're luke combs right now he's a new guy right now mm -hmm. two years he's not the new guy he may be just as successful but so you constantly have to ride that out you know um and uh and adapt and, and figure it out you know i was the new guy in nashville i still think i'm the new guy in nashville because when i moved here these guys had been here established guys i'm like so a friend of mine, Trey, especially turned me and like, uh, you've been here 20 years. Not, <laughs> this just did, you're not the new guy anymore. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. It was like two weeks sometimes, but, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the burnout and just keeping your head in it, uh, can, can wear you out sometimes, but you know, and as my family never gives me a break, like, oh, poor you. Oh, you. <laughs> Did you play drums for an hour? Oh my gosh, that must be so hard for you in front of people. So, you know, you got to keep it in perspective too, right? Oh, and then somebody paid you to do that? Oh my God. How can you, how can you stand it? Yeah. So anyway. So what have you learned about yourself throughout this journey? That I'm obviously a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what my parents were thinking. Um, uh, what about, uh, well, you know what, it's funny. I, I think I learned that I, I, I always say it as a joke, but it's kind of true. I'm like, oh, I guess I have a higher threshold for pain than I thought I did. Mm. I, oh, I, I didn't think I, I did. I don't mean like, you know, you're a tough guy. I don't mean that. I just mean, oh, you can absorb more hits than you thought you could. Look at where we all are right now, right? I mean, the name of what? the game, right? Three weeks ago, we were, we were going to Canada. I mean, it, we're all experiencing this upside down. There's just no end to it, right? And I think, you know, it's beyond the music business, obviously, but it's a whole new challenge in a sense that we were just talking today. 
I'm in the business of trying to cram as many people into a building as possible. That's our business, basically, our live business. Yeah. That's a little bit of a problem right now. <laughs> it's going to be a minute before people want to get in a building with a lot of people. What so, has that what has that been like? Uh I think it's still shock mm. really. Uh cuz I said we we had we've been on we've been on the books the whole time. We 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 had shows starting in January and we've been working. Mm -hmm. We went we were in California I guess 2 weeks before it really got we happened to be off the week Nashville got shut down. We just, we just happened to be off it was like sort of spring break. And uh, we just happened to be not be traveling that week, but we were traveling the weekend before we were, we did two shows out in California. So we flew out there. It was already a little dicey mm -hmm. and I was, you know, wiping down everything in my plane and, and looking at people sitting next to me, giving them the stink guy, not their fault, you know, <laughs> uh, going, don't breathe on me. <laughs> uh, don't and that was, <laughs> don't even look at me. Um, and that was weeks ago, right? So uh, it's changed so dramatically since then. But um, yeah, so it's, it's rough. I mean, and it's top to bottom, right? Just like everything in every industry, but music business, it doesn't matter if you're whomever the top person is all the way down to the newest of the new, it's game over. So, yeah. so um, you know, uh, we'll figure it out, I guess. So just uh, adapt and uh, keep going. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to process. Like my buddy Trey, again, who lives in South Bend now, he lives in Nashville forever. He stays at my house when he's rehearsing with Reba and Brooks and Dunn, and they were rehearsing all that week with Reba mm -hmm. while this was happening, because they, they do the, the Vegas residency, Reba and Brooks and Dunn, that mm -hmm. start, started the first week of April with the ACM Awards. Obviously, none of us did any of that. Um, so they basically, they did a week of rehearsal, and then they got shut down, and it all went away. So um, we're all sort of figuring it out you know um nothing to figure out we're just staying home i'm staying home say on pause as they talk about here in new york city we are on pause <laughs> yeah oh you're you're in new york i don't even yeah. realize you're in new york yeah uh, all my family still lives in southern connecticut so uh, yeah. uh it's crazy up there it I'm sure glad, is people you know, keep asking uh, me is it really as bad i'm like yes it yeah. is <laughs> my mom is uh still a first full-time nurse in Southern Connecticut. She's working in a clinic, oh, wow. so it's not the hospital, but I'm just going, oh my God, mom, you're killing me. Um, yeah, that's certainly gotta be nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking, so, uh, but for everybody, you know, but all I can do is stay in my attic, right? Um, what do your parents think about this, given that they have seen this, obviously, from the beginning when you got your first little drum set? I, I, uh, I think, you know, it's hard. It's interesting. I'd love to ask them that uh, more uh, in that direct way. I, I, it's something I've always done, so I, I guess they just never thought of it any other way. But they were certainly happy that I found my way to still continue to do it and 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 uh, as a job mm -hmm. and uh, and um, have a life. Uh, for you know, there's certainly easier ways to get a job <laughs> you know, certainly easier ways to make money i guess i'm not i'm not an idiot i could have got a job i guess uh you know but uh, yeah no i think that, i think they were happy that i made it through and that i'm doing what i wanted and that it it worked out um again i don't think they were ever talking me out of it i think that probably would have been impossible and just been trouble so um i think they're uh happy that uh that i'm safe and that i have a place to live and and they and I have a big family in Southern Connecticut, and they all come out 
whether I was playing at my high school band or we were playing Mohegan Sun Arena, uh, they're all common and, um, and they still do it. So um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty fun. So what advice would you give an aspiring drummer or any musician? Hmm. Uh, what, what advice? That's so difficult. I, I'm probably not the greatest person to give that. Um, uh, you definitely have to find your own path. I know that sounds so generic and cliche, but what I mean by that is you have to, my story is, is my story and there's no, everybody's story in, in this town everybody's got a different story on how they got even to the same place. Let's say, you know, I could have five guys that I'm playing with in Rodney's band. Everybody's story is completely different. So you really have to find your own way to get there. You know, that, that works for you, that, that makes sense for you and not try to be, you know, I mean, you can emulate people and I want to try to be the best drummer in Nashville. I don't really know what that means, but, and you're not going to be, by the way. Uh, it's an impossible task, you know. So you really have to find your way and find your people and what makes sense for you, and and you'd be better off, you know. Um, uh, it's hard to do, uh, um, but that's 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 the trick, and probably for anything, but certainly for playing an instrument and and finding your people and even what you're good at within within that, you know. So not can't be the best, but do you consider yourself one of the best? No, <laughs> no, I, I never thought of it that way. You know, I, I, I always wanted to be the best for the person I'm playing for, mm. that they're happy, that, that they're, that they trust me or that it, you know, whatever they're trying to do or that, that's what I want to be the best at. I, I that's where that's the truth because I already know that, whether I think I'm the best, which is no, not even close to people in town. There's so many supremely talented people in this town. Um, and even they would probably say the same thing uh, that, no, I'm not the best, it's that guy, you know? And so you really just want to be, you know, making the people you're working with uh, happy. And uh, again, probably like just about any job, you know, you, you want to, you know, make sure you're doing it well, but also that people are, you know, that it, they're happy with it and that it works, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. That's what you got to find. And it's different for everybody. You know, it's, it really is. I, people don't definitely don't want to hear my story and say, because you're not going to want to do what I did maybe. So if you got to find your own way, I, I always tell people I had a day job uh, in between Rodney putting out going through hell. So, uh, I was still working that day job in that spring at a hotel downtown, the Renaissance Hotel, great people there. So they had all video screens around the lobby playing country music. Well, we made the video for going through hell. I'm in the video. That vid video is debuting, it's top 10 video. It's debuting on CMT or it's being played on CMT. Or, no, it was de debuting. And because uh, we had just made it. And the people I work with, because I'm working at the front desk are freaking out. Hey, I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'm checking people in. That's the music business. I, yeah, that's me in the video, by the way. Uh, and I'm check next checking in next. Uh, you know, so that about sums it up right there. You know, you got to figure it out. You know, uh, if I didn't do that, it wouldn't have afforded me to maybe 
play for Rodney when he didn't have a lot of gigs and stick with him. I would have had to jump other places or mm -hmm. taken a gig I didn't want just for 50 bucks that was going nowhere, you know? So people don't, people don't love that story in a sense where, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well. So it you know, sounds like there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes things that people aren't aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a tie with a name tag while I'm in a top 10 video that's debuting at TMT in the same lobby. Yeah, that's that's the real music business right there. It's fun though, it's fun. What's at this point in your career, what's like, do you have like a favorite part? Like, is it the performing now that really is your favorite part? Is it still the collaboration piece? Um, well, I, I love playing live. I always have. It's just fun. You know, it's an energy, it's fun, drums are loud, they're fun, uh, you know, I, I love that part of it. I like traveling too, I like running around playing different places, it's great. Uh, um, but since, you know, we've been on the lockdown here, quarantine, and I have my little recording studio attic, friends have been sending a lot of stuff, all these great people, and we've been working, collaborating, doing all this great stuff. I started what we've been meaning to start for a year and a half, a podcast with my buddy, Trey Gray, drummer. It's nonsense. Uh, but, uh, you know, just, just doing all that kind of creative stuff and really making good stuff. And I still love that, you know? Um, and now that we're all just doing it for nothing, it's even better. So it's quality, uh, you know, collaboration with people you love doing it with. So kind of cool. I had a year, several years ago, I had a grad, a master's student who did his master's thesis on fl flow experiences on in, during onstage performances of musicians. Have you ever had that like flow type experience on stage where you're just like immersed in what you're doing? Absolutely. I try to be there all the time. Um, some days more than others, but, but, but mostly I, I get there like I, you know, yeah, I, I so, you know, and, 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 you know, and there's, my rig has got, you know, live's got some things going on. I got laptops over here running. I got, you know, there's stuff going on. There's function where I have to functionally count people in or, mm -hmm. or cute, you know, so th there's the job part of it, but, but no, I, 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 I get there. They get, everything sort of goes out of my head and, and I usually, uh, I usually get there, which, um, um, yeah. Uh, the last thing, again, the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about something else or, or daydreaming or fussing about something. You're, you're definitely going to make a mistake, you know? Um, um, so yeah, I, 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 it'd be fascinating to see what that, you know, thesis would be like or what, what people would have to say about that. But uh, I don't know if I tap into it or if I just do it naturally, like, all the air goes out of my head naturally, but I <laughs> that's one of the kind of elusive things about it is people describe it like it's something that just happens, right? It's kind of like the ultimate marrying of the internal state and the the world, the, the situation you're in. Um, so trying to chase that or trying to figure out how to trigger that is the inevitable challenge. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't happen all the time because sometimes you're just playing something and you're just functioning. And you're going, okay, the next song, what's the song? Okay, reading the chart, maybe a little, or something, something a little bit more functional because you don't really have the time to get in it. But, but with my, my main gig, and, and it's really all about, and Ronnie's always been all about 
making it about people, you know, mm-hmm. making it about them having a, bringing them in, having a good time, no matter where it is, not just, you know, making it about himself in a sense where, you know, if people aren't singing back to you and aren't in it, what are we doing? This is yeah. so, you're really trying to get that, whether it's, you know, 10 people or a giant festival or whatever you're trying to do. So luckily he's had some songs that people do that with. So it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah. Shifting gears a little bit. Have you ever felt like you were faking it or that you were a fraud? Oh yeah. All the time. Right. Sure. I mean, if you, if you're not like a musician or something creative and you don't feel that, you know, I'd say you're a little cuckoo, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but um, I say that jokingly, but um, not a fraud. You just, you just wish you, you know, Oh, I should be better at this or, Oh, I feel like I'm not really connecting to it or, or, you know, I sucked. That was terrible. I just mm-hmm. didn't get it done, you know? So it's not like you're a fraud in a sense where, you know, you just feel like, oh, that that's just not good enough or which, you know, what does that all mean really? I don't, you know, it depends, but Could it's not better. really, it's not, yeah, it's not a contest at all. Um, no matter how much people make it a contest, it's yeah. really not. And so it, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, a lot of our research has been on expert performance um, or expertise. And it's part of that is the classic uh, nature versus nurture. So mm-hmm. an extreme view of nature would be um, the environment has nothing to do with it. Practice has nothing to do with it. An extreme view of uh, nurture would be that what you're born with has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's all what happens as far as practicing that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's all that in the middle um, that people can be anywhere on the scale. So we're yeah. curious what percentage you would apply to each. Wow. Uh it's hard it's hard to say about yourself right i I guess um i i I guess there's a lot of nature in there where somehow this thing interested me Mm. interested me to the point where i was just doing it as a little kid in some form so something was in there because you know my all my other cousins got drumsticks and he didn't know me any different from you know you know it wasn't any clue as far as that goes. Uh, so I guess there's a lot of that somewhere in there. There's a, there's a connection you make with it. Mm. That, that is the, is the thing, whether you have a talent for it, I don't know. So some people are obviously very special and have uh, incredible talents. Uh, um, and then, then you have to, you can't just have it. There's a lot of people with those incredible gifts or, or ability that don't really do anything with it or don't use it for anything good or useful. It's just kind of there. Um, I know some people that were just great at it and I'm like, well, okay. And they never really did anything with it or played with the band or made anything creative with it. So, um, or there was, you know, great natural tennis players had all this ability and they couldn't win a match. Mm-hmm. They, but they were incredible. Their their back end, you know, was mind blowing. You know, so uh, talent. But um, so I guess I had some uh, nurture in a sense where you know people around me supporting it. You know, being in a band, learning, taking what I had a feel for, and then really sort of practically learning how to survive somehow in it. I don't know. But percentage wise, I don't know. I. Uh, 75 25 maybe 75 something some defect 
that I was born with. And then 25, you know, you know, nurture, which I fought all the time, you know, in school. I, instead of taking it, I fought it, you know, so. Um, anything that we haven't asked that you feel is important for the listeners to know? Uh, I think I've talked way too much, haven't I? <laughs> Not at all. Was it six hours? How long were you done? <laughs> I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> oh no! Oh boy! Yeah. Uh, or play. I mean, we could do that too. <laughs> that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you guys are covering it. I, you know, I, I don't really. When you're doing it, you don't really have the perspective. Sometimes, like, and that's why I'm talking about it. I go, oh, uh, I don't know. Never really thought about it, you know, uh, that much in that way. Um, I'm just so I'm always trying to get point A to point B, and you know have people not be upset with me or something. So. What is the biggest takeaway from your story? What is the biggest takeaway? Uh, I guess that you just have to, uh, oh boy, that sounds so corny. I don't know how to articulate it, but I mean, you really do have to like keep going even when it sucks. Like it, drumming is especially is a weird thing where I always made this joke with Rodney that like sometimes when we'd have new bands, when he was new, it was like new guys every weekend mm -hmm. that were just doing it for the first time. So they would always just lay out when, it, when in doubt, just kind of lay out. Whereas a drummer, you can never lay out. If you lay out, the whole thing is destroyed. People will immediately, you, you can't stop playing as a drummer. <laughs> you just can't do it. You know, it's over. A guitar player could stop and lay out and it could still go, you know, mm -hmm. and then come back in or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, you really have to, uh, you really have to keep going. You just can't stop, even if it sucks. Oh, at some corny, right? Like where we are now, right? I know Rodney Atkins, if you're going through hell, keep on going, right? <laughs> I, I don't even know. What am I talking about? Like, no, that's... But that's so, it's so cliched, but I mean, you really just. That song is going to make a resurgence with the whole I know, I, I know, I know. It's so true. Well, that's it that's kind of song too when it came out where I you know when you, you see it people take it on it could mean anything from the smallest thing to the most serious thing sure. you know it, it's that same mentality you just and as a drummer I have to get to the end of this song mm. even if I train wreck it I still gotta get and then end it I gotta end it you know um, so that's it's the only choice you know so like it or not it's that's what it is so yeah Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been fascinating. Yeah, no kidding. This is awesome. That's, that's one way to put it. Fascinating. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I, uh, I, you know, I talk so much. Um, uh, I guess exactly. I've been stuck. I guess I've been stuck in my attic too. <laughs> that was great. Well, then, I'm glad we got you when we did because that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, good. Uh, um, uh, good to talk to you guys. Good to see you. It's just nice to actually talk to people. Um, um, and uh, it, that's that's just that's the weirdest part about this, right? For everybody, just for sure. staying inside and uh, you know, um, and uh, doing the thing. But I've done so, a bunch of these like Zoom, just Zoom with friends, mm -hmm. where we had like a Zoom cocktail hour. It was great. So uh, yeah. it's fun. All right, thank you thank guys. You. Be safe. Thank you so much. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled. All rights reserved.